0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Improv TX Comedy Network. If this is your first time checking out the Podcast Network, we appreciate it. Please head over to your favorite podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, or iTunes, and give the Improv TX Comedy Network a like. And just a reminder, the Improv TX Comedy Network is live on YouTube with all your favorite comedians on the improv stage. All links can be found in the description. And with that, on to the podcast. Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the act out. From open mic to the big stage, comedians tell us how stories are made. My name is Doug. Today I'm with the amazingly funny, the hilarious, just outrageous. We're going to get into so many conversations about his comedy and MMA, evidently, and where he's from. So we got Chris Hopkins on today. How are you doing, sir?
1: I'm doing great, man. It is wonderful to be here. big thank you to you, Ducky, and the Addison Improv, and the whole uh, Dallas-Fort Worth comedy community.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for shouting out the community, because we are part of that, and this is part of the community, and we want to make sure we get as many comedians on as possible just to talk about everything comedy, and really sit down and talk about your career and where you started and everything. So let's get started with, where are you from?
1: I was born in Columbus, Ohio. Right on. You're a northerner
0: like me. I'm from Pennsylvania. Okay. Right on. So in Columbus, Ohio, and you spent the majority of your life there?
1: Yep. A majority of my life until age 40, and that was when everything took off and went haywire.
0: Oh, really? What
1: happened? Well, it was um it was weird uh, I lost my wife to cancer I'm sorry and before then I was basically just the regular guy you know who went to work 40 hours and raised kids I was a pretty much boring guy I dabbled in music and stuff but it wasn't really really going for it and then um you were
0: in a rock band
1: right yeah I, yeah I was a rapper before i was a a bad front man and i think that when i was a front man for the band tempted was the name of the band i think that was the first time i started doing stand-up because when they would take breaks to do tune between songs i'd start talking to the crowd. Right. So I never, I think, well, I'm, I'm not, I don't, I won't say I think I'm very positive that my prior ex- experience in music really has helped me as far as being a comedian, stage presence, just being used to being on the stage. That's the biggest thing. I think a lot of comics, if they don't have any type of other performing background and they start to get on stage, the nerves really get to them. And I, I can kind of see it because a lot of them, well, a lot of comics, they'll write a joke. And they have it in their head where the laughs or where the, you know, where the punchline's gonna hit. And sometimes if they don't get the laughs where they anticipate them, you can almost see the confidence and everything, the whole energy level drop. Yeah. And just being a rapper and, you know, being in these crappy showcases where it's like 20 rappers and like everybody leaves and, and the mics, I, I, I guess. I, the, the <laughs> To put it a good way, I'm used to being on stage and being ignored. So, <laughs> so I didn't take it personally when I didn't get the, the laughs where I thought I would get them and I would just continue my set. Because if you can continue and power through, you might not get laughs where you expect, but you'll get laughs where you don't expect. So yeah. that, that also helps you develop your material because... You're able to develop more what the crowd likes instead of saying, "Oh, well, I think this is funny and they'll like it." And you might go and try it, and then if something is like, "Well, I'll try this joke," and then the crowd will eat it up. So I know I know a lot of comics. They really try to focus on almost pushing their brand or their ideals. My thing is, I want to connect with the crowd. I want everybody to have fun, no matter what type of. You know, what background you come from, race, creed, sexual orientation, political background. I want everybody to be able to have fun and then to walk out and be like, you know what? We all have fun together.
0: Right. And your comedy, you kind of bring people together. Yeah. But something that I really enjoy about your comedy is you take on heady concepts. <laughs> like, your jokes are very intelligent. And, like, yeah. you'll go places Thank that you. people are not ready to go. You know Thank what I mean? You. And so I'm sitting there watching you, and the Star Wars bit, where you're talking about <laughs> racism and Star Wars, amazing bit, amazing bit. But, like, it's super specific. You have to know Star Wars, of course, mm-hmm. but it works. And, like, to say, like, we knew that was a white man behind the suit. <laughs> like, so good, so good. We'll, we'll get into that. I want to start by asking you, uh, who were your comedy influences? Who, who Like, what when, when was the first time that you saw comedy and really got – an idea of what it
1: was. Man, the absolute greats, man. When I was young and I'd stay up and watch HBO, Richard Pryor live on the Sunset Strip. I won't say he's forgotten, but a lot of people don't understand exactly how good Johnny Carson was. Yeah. When he would come up, he would do his monologues. A lot of the the late night comedians, like that's kind of where I get my comedy from. They'll take, you know, current topics and they'll and they'll be able to to communicate with the audience and you'll all get a laugh. It's not so much, hey, this is how I feel And a lot of comics are looking for, it's almost like politics, they're looking for 51%. They want half the people to agree with them and almost to alienate her off and I want to shake hands and kiss babies. I want everybody to be happy.
0: (laughs) Everyone on the same page. But you do have jokes that divide the room.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, well, that's the thing, too, is like. I don't want to stray or run away from the topics that people are talking to. I just want to show that we have more in common than than, than a lot of people think. And we're all laughing and thinking the same way. Yeah. So if, if I can attack that, be like, look, this is how we all really feel about it. Right. And then everybody can laugh. Man, one of the first major show I did, and um, I want to thank uh Bridget Martin. She actually hooked me up in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I got to open for Donnie Baker, like the redneck comic. And it was the first one was in Chattanooga at a dive bar. Then the second show I did was in Bristol, Virginia. And it's like right on the borderline of Tennessee and Virginia. And there's nothing there but a NASCAR track. So I felt like I was the only black person for like 400 miles. (laughs) It was cars with like Confederate flags and stuff. I was nervous as hell. But I, I really did well. The first show I did in Chattanooga and Donnie Baker gave me more time. And I wound up winning that crowd over just. Just having fun and just being just being people. And I had redneck dudes coming up and hugging and laughing and I pride myself on being able to make, you know, the whole spectrum of America laugh.
0: Yeah. You're not shy about talking about race. You yeah. will talk about it, but you do try to unify. It. Yeah. You're like this is this side, this is this side, but at the end of the day, yeah. boom. And it's it's a lot of fun to watch. It really is. Thank you. That means
1: a lot to yeah, me. Thank it, you. It's
0: awesome. What got you started is you went through a breakup. Yeah,
1: um, I had um I had gone through a breakup. And people had been talking about me trying stand-up before that. And I was really depressed. And I was just listening to hours of the Joe Rogan podcast to put myself to sleep. And Joey Diaz, he's like, you got to get on stage and get your first five minutes over and suck. <laughs> and I was like, man, let me do that. And then the one Joe Rogan thing is like, if, if you were the hero of your movie, your, you know, your life was a movie and you were the hero, what would you do? It's like, if, would, like at this point, no matter what's going on in your life, what do you want to do? And it was like, damn, I want to I do stand-up comedy. And the older podcast, man, with um with Rogan and Diaz especially and then Ron White. Ron White talking about how he got started in Fort Worth and how he, you know, did all his travels and then Joey Diaz talking about how he followed that chick that he wound up hating and was up in Seattle and got all twisted around and was homeless and was living in the park and everything oh, wow. and it- Going through all of those things and still seeing them make it, it just, it, it got me to the point where I had to try.
0: So the breakup, you did like five minutes on the breakup then?
1: Oh, I actually, my first five minutes had nothing to do with the breakup. I didn't really start talking about her until about a year later. I put her in the act in Atlanta. And then she, because st- <laughs> it was one of those things where we were broken up, but we still talked. And I started sending her YouTube links to me talking sh- Oh
0: no. How did she respond to that? She
1: was like, stop talking about me on stage. So then I took her out of the act, and then it was two months later. She's like, how come you don't talk about me? It's like, oh, so you want to be back in the act now? Yeah, she might be funnier than me, though. F (laughs) her, though. Yeah. That's
0: freaking awesome.
1: Yeah. Find a crazy. Drives you crazy and gives you inspiration. Like Richard Pryor said, "Say you ever been in love with a b- you can't stand." <laughs> yes. Oh my God! Yes, yeah.
0: it was. It was wonderful and terrible at the same time. That's
1: what you need. That's what. That's the best comedy material. Be in a b- relationship.
0: Yeah, and then speak some truth about it. How many years you've been doing this? I forgot to ask.
1: Almost six, just right at five. Six. Okay, cool.
0: What was it like the first time you went on stage? You said that you kind of had the confidence from being in the band. So, but it's it's a little bit different when you don't have people backing you. you It's
1: so funny. The first time I was on stage, it was um, right after a birthday. It was um, at JJ's Bohemia. In, in Chattanooga, Tennessee, I went up for an open mic. And I looked at it like rap. A lot of people go up and kind of riff and freestyle. I actually had material written. And the first time I was on stage, it really surprised me how well I went. And I've, I've like I said, I've dabbled in a bunch of different things. I've been good at some things. I've been very good at things, but I was never really elite at anything until this. And I got on stage and it was like, Man, this is this is what you should be doing. It it just it was like a fish to water.
0: And how long did you do? Five minutes or three minutes? Or I got five. Did you practice beforehand, or did you just go off and freestyle?
1: I didn't really like as far as like looking in the mirror. I just had bullet points and knew what I wanted to talk about and kind of just connect with the crowd.
0: Right. Do you get nervous at all, or when you go on stage? Yes.
1: (laughs) I try tried, I tried to put on a good face. I just did the uh, Kenan Thompson showcase that's yeah. traveling. I did it at the Laugh Factory in Chicago. Very and nice. That was the only I, I have really. I hadn't done any shows. No, my family weren't able to make it, so it was just me in this comedy club. And it was like, yep, you got three minutes, go for it. And I was nervous as heck, but I powered through it. I felt like I gave a great set. I, people told me I gave a good set, so thanks, Sean Trainer, former you know guy here that really saw me and has, has been a help to me also. So thank you, Sean. Oh, Sean's
0: awesome. Yeah, we he's he's Sean. a great guy. Yeah. Congratulations, the Laugh Factory is huge. The key oh, thing my is
1: huge. Gosh. So it's, uh, so well, it's just it's nice just to be a part of it. I'm just you know I'm just here hanging. There's so many other comics that are so much more accomplished and got it going. I'm just happy to be on the team.
0: Like you said, supporting the DFW yeah. community, it's freaking amazing. What was your first hosting gig like? Like we were talking about being nerve wracked a little bit, but where was it at and what was it like?
1: My first time really hosting. I'd hosted hip hop shows. My first time hosting comedy was at the Comedy Catch in Chattanooga, Tennessee. My friend Bridget Martin got me up, and that's a pretty decent sized comedy club. I got to do some really nice, uh, some hosting jobs there. I Really honed my chops being a host at the Comedy Catch.
0: From watching your videos, you are not afraid of hecklers at
1: all. <laughs> and I, like, you would be like, shut the f- up.
0: Like, you know, <laughs> just tell them straight up. And, like, I noticed it was really smart. You do the thing where you kind of ignored them at first. Mm-hmm. And then finally, you're like, all right, I've had enough. That's,
1: it's so- one of those things if they keep talking, you want to address them, but you don't want to go back and forth with them. Because it encourages them. It makes them feel like they're a part of the show. And it's like, you know what? I'll give you one line. And then I'm going to cut your head off. And then you shut up because we're back to the show. I'm on stage. I'm holding the mic. And I think that's the being used to doing other genres and being on stage, you know, a, a comic that, you know, doesn't have any other background. Somebody else starts yelling and stuff. And if a heckler gets one in on it, they might freeze up. But that's the thing. You don't you don't want the heckler to have an opportunity to get laughs or to or to become a part of the show.
0: Absolutely, and I love asking comedians that because it's one of my biggest fears yeah. is getting heckled, and I've been heckled before. And just whatever,
1: and it's it's hard too because, like you said, I, I do well with hecklers, but there's gonna be somebody out there that, that's really gonna challenge me, and and, and it's gonna. F-
0: did you ever kick anyone out? Did you ever say you know, No,
1: you know, I I got, there was somebody who was really, really, like, really intentionally trying to ruin a show in Chattanooga. And when I got up, I just went in so hard on them that they wound up leaving. Oh, wow. Yeah, so you I, 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 them. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Very nice.
0: So when you got to finally the point of featuring and headlining, mm-hmm. uh, what was that like?
1: It was like when you play sports and you're a freshman and a sophomore and you look up and you see the juniors and the seniors playing and it was like, the coach handed me the ball it was like okay your turn get in there oh wow yeah and it was bite down on your mouthpiece and run as fast as you can and enjoy it
0: did you have a 20 minute 40 minute set what'd you do your first
1: time i think my first long set was 20 and then it's kind of just been going i think the longest i've done is like 35 40 right oh wow
0: yeah Yeah. watching anyone do that yeah like it's so impressive because it takes so much Effort and energy and like holding the attention of the crowd yeah. hard, dude.
1: And people don't realize how long 20 minutes, 20 minutes doesn't sound like much until you're on stage and there's like 50, 60, 70, 100 people staring at you and you've got to hold their attention the entire time.
0: Yeah. I don't even know how y'all do it. It's It absolutely amazes me knowing like how hard it is, you know, because people who watch comedy, they think yeah. it's easy.
1: They yeah, think
0: That's the biggest heartache of the whole thing is mm. somebody who doesn't do comedy Comedy comes up and talks to you about comedy, mm-hmm. and then you got to be like, oh, God, and then placate them. Or
1: The and, funny thing is, is most people who don't do comedy, their only reference are like the greats. They're looking at somebody like a Chappelle or a Gaffigan or a Bill Burr, and they're like, well, they seem so natural and it just seems so easy to them. And they don't understand that if that's like saying, well, like anybody should be able to dunk. I saw LeBron James and uh, and, and Kevin Durant dunk. Why can't you just jump from the free throw yeah. line? Yeah, it's a process,
0: and we only get to do it at five-minute increments at a time, and it just takes forever. But what's your writing process like? How do you come up with your material? <laughs>
1: I let life happen. It's weird. I've been slacking on writing. I've been, you know, doing a lot of editing of old stuff. I got some new stuff. I'm about to, you know, kind of have come down the pipe. But it's really almost waiting for that that spark of insanity or inspiration to come, and then writing it down, and then filling it. And I know a lot of comics do where y'all don't take time to like, okay, well, this is my writing time. I'm gonna write for two hours today, and I will write for two hours tomorrow, and it's like. When it happens, it happens. I just keep my phone with me. You ever seen the movie Hustle and Flow? Okay, there's a part of the movie where he's just walking and, and you ever heard of the song It's hard out here for a pimp When he's just like Man it's hard out here for a pimp He's like wait a minute He's like that, that's good Let me write that down <laughs> And it's one of those things That something will just hit you I've had some of my best material Hit me when I was walking Through a store or driving I literally had to pull over before And pull my pull my phone out And start typing notes
0: That's the way I work too yeah. Where I'll type in the notes mm-hmm. And then I'll go to the computer I never write in a notebook I'm not good at yeah. that Long hand just hurts my hand And so cramps It's up.
1: weird I put like bullet points And like ideas in my phone but when I write stuff out, I put it on a notebook so I can scratch and really kind of have more room to play with it.
0: And do you have like a certain process you go through or do you come up with the twist first or the punchline or is it kind of whatever inspires you?
1: It's weird. It just all grows organically. Every joke is different.
0: Writing is fun. It really is, especially when a joke comes together. Oh,
1: man, so, it, it is. That is a beautiful feeling when you write something and you edit it and it just gets better and better. And then you start to get the laughs when when you expect it. That's it, That's a, that's a very, very... It's a big accomplishment. Oh, it's
0: amazing. The, and those laps just, they yeah. feel endorphins, orphans, and then you get off stage, and you're glowing. It's so much fun. What's the weirdest thing you've ever seen happen at a show? I know in the Hyena show, somebody almost died. That!
1: <laughs> that you was you the first. on stage. That was, was the hilarious. first show that I was actually a headliner in. Zach Sprung, Sprung Comedy Productions. Thank you, Zach. He believed in me enough to give me a headlining show at the uh, Red Room in Hyena's. And it was like maybe two comics before I went up, there was a man who had a heart attack in the bathroom. So they had to stop the show while the EMTs went in and worked on him. He actually coded once or twice. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So dude almost died in the bathroom. And so it, it, it wound up cutting my set time down. But that that was the least of the worries. So I kind of had to address it.
0: Oh, it was funny. And then you, you did a callback to it later. You can watch the video <laughs> online. It's, it's great. It's hysterical. Do you ever get starstruck? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> There's comics that aren't even famous. Just I've seen local comics that just like, I, I kind of, you know, ad, admire just the way they carry themselves and things. No, oh my God. Yeah. Was All there the day one time. Sp-
0: anyone specific that, like, that got you? Like, for me, uh, Monique got me. Really? Uh, yeah. And I was like, because I watched her from The Queens of Comedy when I was a kid. And so I remember anytime she wanted, she could get a sex sandwich. And I thought that was so funny when I was a kid. So when I finally got to meet her, and thank God she's very sweet. And she was very kind. But, like, has there been any one like that that you've come across? Um, just, like, you're like, I don't know what to say. I'm in the presence Mick
1: Foley, opening for oh, WWE wow. superstar Mick Foley. There's another guy I got to host for, and then he was um, really nice and uh, gave me a bunch of compliments and pointers at the Punchline in Atlanta. Landry the Comedian, he's won a, a World Series of Comedy, and he's he's a touring comic. So there's just just a, all kind of levels. But, yeah, the, the Mick Foley thing. As a matter of fact, I had a show, the second show with him, it was uh, in Kentucky at the University of Pikeville. The first show I did was at Sky Zoo in Chattanooga. It just shut down. That was the first bar, really, in Chattanooga to believe in me. Shout out to Sky Zoo, uh, Leo, Josh, everybody at Sky Zoo. Thank y'all so much. I got to open for Mick at Sky Zoo, and it was a bar. We got a little raunchy. Well, the next show was at. Pikeville, Kentucky was at a college and there was a lot of kids there doing meet and greets. Five minutes before I go on stage, Mick Foley, WWE Hall of Famer, ear missing and all comes up. It's like, hey, I caught your act last night. It's like, I really like your act, but there's a lot of kids out there. It's like, I need you to keep it clean tonight. He's like, I did not cuss. You're not about to come and get me with the sock? (laughs)
0: Ah, oh, that's awesome. You said that you worked for MMA. You said that you yeah, um, Ronda Rousey.
1: There's a guy that um there was a website, uh, Gateway MMA. Um, it's no longer around, but the guy that uh kind of recruited me, his name is David McKinney, and he'd been doing all kinds of stuff as far as like interviewing everything, and he set it up when they had the uh the fight in Columbus, Ohio for the strike force title. I got to interview Ronda and Misha, and it was funny because we were the last interview and it was in the lobby of the Hilton. The rep from the UFC was like, look, they've been together all day. They really don't like each other. They want to do these (laughs) interviews separate. And I had known Misha Tate, but I wasn't familiar with Ronda Rousey. And I thought, you know, Misha was like, oh, my gosh. So Misha comes and she's got a little makeup on and it was kind of cool. But then Ronda came down and was like, holy (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> That's one of the, the greatest meetings I've ever had just I mean things have changed with her now but just the type of energy she had and everything it was, it was a really cool meeting. So she was at the
0: top of her game at the
1: time. No, she that was that was her first title fight. She was oh, wow. just she was just and it wasn't even the UFC yet. It was Strike Force. Wow. And I think she was like 5 and 0, oh, and Misha Tate was basically like, the only reason she's getting this is because she's pretty and she's loud and blah, 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 and she hasn't earned the title fight. So, yeah, it was when Rhonda was like, that was really her, her big burst onto the scene.
0: So, would you do MMA?
1: By the time I got in, I played semi-pro football from, uh, age 23 to 35. I blew my knees out and my wife was like, look, you're not going to sit here and drive me nuts. We got to find something for you to do. <laughs> and it was the second season of the Ultimate Fighter, I believe. Matt Brown, Matthew Motor Brown was on there and he was talking about, where he's like, I'm from, a, uh, you know, uh, Grove City Jiu Jitsu and, you know, right around the corner. I'm like, I know where the hell Grove City is. And so we drove around there and then I, I started training, but, I was more of a practice dummy for like the first five or six years. I was, I was a guy I would go, but I didn't spar and I was just trying to learn. I really became a fighter after I, I graduated. I went to broadcasting school and I got to cover a few events. Uh, Ohio Grappling Challenge, that's run by Dustin Ware in Ohio, is still going on. But there was an MMA organization called the UVC, Ultimate Victory Challenge, uh, run by a guy named Rick Piles, and he gave me media credentials. I went to the uh, press conference at he's Man, he's like blood to me now. My friend Zach Cook, who was an MMA fighter. And then another friend of mine, uh, Nate Van who's he's got a ton of businesses, he had a power washing business he was like well he he had a martial arts background too he did judo and he was like well I'll just clean out my garage and put a bunch of mats down there it's like if you guys got fighters and then we looked up and Zach was like I'll fill this up with fighters and we thought it was going to be two or three fighters and then we look up and there's 20 fighters in there and my friend Nate is like he's really good as far as a lot of people come up with ideas and they don't ever really execute on them He's super great. Like if you come up with an idea, he'll put it down and he'll actually make it happen. So when we saw those fighters in, he's got a business mind. He was like, there are, there's no other place that has a pro shop. So he started ordering all the boxing gloves and everything. So we had fighters all over Central Ohio. They would train other places, but they were coming to our gym to actually get the cool boxing gloves because it was either you would go to Walmart and get really cheap gloves or you would order them online and have to wait for them to get there. Where Nate just ordered all the cool stuff online and everybody came shopping. I was going to say, you played football, though, too. Oh, yeah. um, Yeah, I know they have semi-pro football here because there's a team, um, the Wolfpack, that beat the crap out of one of my my home teams from from Ohio (laughs) in the national championship. I I played for uh, two teams, the Columbus Fire and the Central Ohio Lions. They wound up merging. I was a a skinny little twerp when I started, and I did a lot of my growing as a person, you know, just playing semi-pro football.
0: So what was your position?
1: I started as a corner, and then when I got older, I went to safety. That's all. all cor- old corners never die. They move to safety. <laughs> How long did you do that? I did it nine years. Nine years? I had two wow. two or three years where I dislocated the shoulder, had surgery on that. I've had both my ACLs replaced, so I had years where I kind of sat out for injury. But it was nine years. That's and it was, it was pretty high level. We had guys who one of the guys we played with, he had just... Got released from the NFL. He got released from the uh, the Indianapolis Colts, but he played NFL Europe. He played in the World Bowl and he played in the, the Arena League final. He played with the team in Denver that John Elway owned. And <laughs> I'll never forget it. We played a team in Union City, Indiana, and we were ranked number one in the country and they brought out. Curtis Enos, the former Penn State running back. First, like, I think it was like the fifth pick for the Bears. And the first, first quarter, man, they were, they were doing well. But I had some really solid teammates, man. One of my friends, Mike Garnett. Shout out to Big Jack. Mike Garnett. Man, this is the hardest hit I ever heard on a football field, man. He hit Curtis Enos and it sounded like a gunshot. Oh. Curtis Enos left the game. They they scored the first seven points. We wound up winning forty three to seven.
0: Oh wow, wow! Yep. So that
1: and that's on the Ohio uh, historical register. You can go look up the Central Ohio Lions. Thank you to Coach Fike, who organized that. He was he was the guy running it, and uh, Coach Mark Brobeck, our defensive coordinator. He was one of the best coaches I've ever had.
0: That is awesome. Let's get back to comedy. That was a fun sidetrack, though. You talk about race in your yes. comedy. Uh, and you, you come from your children. My you children know, are mixed race. Mixed yeah. race yes, yes. Uh, you joke about that mm-hmm. in certain ways that you can kind of talk about stuff, especially when you have experience. Yeah. So whenever you say this is the black side, this is the white side. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it, sometimes it makes people uncomfortable. Yeah. How do you deal with that as a comedian? Because it's something that's important and it needs to be talked about.
1: I think it's one of those things where there is there are moments of discomfort at the beginning, but... When people look around and see other people laughing, it's like, okay, well, I'm allowed to laugh because it's stuff that really people are really thinking or wondering about, but they're afraid to talk about. It's like, well, I kind of got a question, but if I ask, (laughs) I'm going to look kind of stupid or just, I don't want to ask that. And that's kind of, you know, on both sides. So it's almost kind of bridging the gap of, for lack of a better word, you know, taboo stuff that people really are kind of afraid to talk about. But in a lot of ways, it's an elephant in the room. So if it's not addressed, it just, it leads to more misunderstanding and conflict, kind of ignoring the things that are obviously right there. Just trying to act like, you know, like if your dog in the middle of the carpet, and everybody keeps walking and stepping around and there's like this pile of dog.
0: And it's, I think it's important that we talk about it, too, yeah. because we celebrate our differences. You yes. Know? There's so many jokes that can be made, and we celebrate what we both have in common. Because at the end and of the day,
1: we're all people. That's yeah. the thing. At the end of the day, everybody's people. Everybody, you know, laughs, loves, cries, hurts. They got parents. They got fears. They got, you know, dreams. So I want to be able to address everybody. I can't I can't be like, you know what? My comedy is only for this group over here, and if you don't like you I'll just make you uncomfortable while I address the group that I'm here. For. When a club like this hires me, there's like we they don't hire me just to pander to one group, it's like we want you to make everybody laugh. Yeah.
0: it's universal comedy is what I always call it. Like yeah. it's always the things that we have in common and I, but I love it. Uh, Whenever somebody can point out like the differences. And I think the biggest
1: thing too, and I think a lot of comics are losing it, it's I try not to take myself too seriously. I Mm -hmm. try not to make it about my beliefs or opinions. I try to just throw stuff out that everybody can laugh at. It's not about, hey, let's believe this or let's do this. It's like, y'all know it's funny when such and such and such and such happens. And it's like everybody's thinking it. It's not like, well, if you don't believe this way, then blah, blah, blah. I just want everybody to laugh and be happy. Because I mean... I don't feel arrogant enough to be like, people aren't, no one is ever going to agree with anybody 100% of the time. There's always going to be differences. I don't think that anybody should believe exactly like me because half the time you ask me 20 minutes later, I don't even think the same. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) I've I've had that struggle. (laughs) I'm just like, did I say that? All right. I guess I did. So
1: allow me to retract that statement
0: hey everyone it's just stuck jumping in to say thank you so much for checking out the podcast today if you dig it please head over to our website at improvtx.com where you can check out our calendar for all the upcoming shows in addison arlington houston and san antonio and don't forget to follow our social media all links in the description and with that back to the podcast Do you view comedy as an art
1: form? Oh, yeah, man, it's an art form. I like what Joe Rogan said, it's mass hypnosis. It's like you get in front of a crowd and a lot of people's biggest fear is public speaking. So you're doing something that a lot of people fear and then you're also, you're controlling the crowd. They have to stop talking, pay attention to you. And you're basically commending, them, okay, this is when you're going to laugh. This is when you're going to wonder. This is, it's base. it's mass hypnosis. Like you see people like Burr, Chappelle doing an hour. You'll see people for the whole hour, just wide eyed on the edge of their seat, just, just hanging on it.
0: How do you go about controlling the crowd? What is it? You have a, a certain technique or something?
1: I don't know. Um,
0: or is it just something you learn through time you feel.
1: It's weird. I just I feel so comfortable talking in front of crowds and just everything's a new experience, so I always just try to interact. I try to go in as a as a fresh experience and interact with the crowd. So it just it's all every time it's a new experience, so it just kinda works out.
0: Do you feel being the front man for a band really sets you up for success in comedy then? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Just being used to being on stage, being used to knowing how to read a crowd, you know, when the when the you know, kind of bring them up, when to bring them down, how to interact. Just knowing, as far as also, you know, I had times where I was a, a promoter for shows. So knowing, okay, the whole crowd is here. This is this is how the show's supposed to go. You want to build up to a peak. Just understanding the entire function and formula of a show, kind of I think helps me a lot more than you know, if somebody shows up was like, well, I got my five minutes. I'm gonna go up, do my five minutes, and I'm gonna leave. You got to understand the flow of the show because it's it's a production.
0: Yeah. And it takes a lot of work. Yeah. You've had so many interesting jobs. Is there any other like jobs that, that stick out to you that were like that too? Like the, the commentator basically, or you know, yeah. the interviewer. Well, the,
1: the, the, the jacked up thing is I ain't got paid for none of that <laughs> <bullshit>. <laughs> Trying to monetize it. I, I've done done so much stuff for for little to no money. And it's been great experience and exposure. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. I think it's going to build to something. But up until now, it really hasn't been about the money. But I I need some paper these days. Yeah, no, I understand that. That's the thing that people don't understand. Even Russell Simmons has said, you do stuff for free. Until you get to the point where you're so you're so invaluable that people throw, throw money. is like, hey, we need to get this guy throat give him however much he wants. And I think there's a lot of comics and other entertainers that sell themselves short where they would avoid some place like the improv or a bigger comedy club to go play a smaller spot. It was like, well, they're giving me twenty dollars in improv. Not it's they limit themselves just looking. I guess the best way to say penny wise and pound foolish. I've never
0: heard that before. What does yeah.
1: that mean? It's like you're you're so smart and you're you're so focused on chasing small amounts of money that you're not able to see the big picture. It's right. like. People cut themselves off with like, oh, well, this bar is going to pay me $50. And then like you'll go and you'll perform in front of five people where you could be in front of in a place like the improv where it's the improv. You're yeah. going to get promotion. It's it's a national brand. It's the brand in comedy.
0: Yeah, 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 I agree with you. Thank you for saying that. But what you said earlier about putting in all the work for free and then people throw money at you. Comedy, yeah. that's what it is. It is. It is 100%. You do your 10,000 hours worth of work five minutes at a time, and it's hard as hell. You spend most of your time driving to a place, sitting at a a bar stool, waiting for your moment, and then you learn for five minutes, and it's nerve-wracking, but it's a process. You go through it. So with that said, do you have any advice for up-and-coming comedians, people who want to start out like myself I'm in my first year, that that would help?
1: Don't ever give up on yourself. Get a good support system of people that aren't going to talk you out of it. And just just be ready for the for the ride. Not don't don't feel like well if I'm not on Netflix in three years and I need to quit. Don't don't let people put arbitrary limits or or timelines on your career. Don't let them say well you got to do this in this time and you got to do that in that time and why are you still doing that? You haven't made X amount of dollars or you could be doing this and you could be doing that. Everybody takes off in their own time. Like Ron White was saying that. He was a traveling comic doing stuff forever until Jeff Foxworthy put him on, yeah. and then and then he took off. And it's that's the really the thing. It's like you you do your thing until the word gets out that like this guy's a killer, and then someone will come find you. But that's how comedy kind of polices itself. Up until these crappy uh, social media and all these TikTok clowns that if you get a bunch of followers, it's like you they'll just throw money at you. But it used to be that you really had to prove yourself before you made money in comedy. You couldn't just hop up there. You know, you got a couple people that, you know, they might know somebody or something, but you really had to prove yourself and become a beast before people start throwing money at you. Like if you look at the Chappelle show, like Bill Burr's like a bit dude in there. Yeah. like And like Bill Burr's like one of the top comics now. It's like people do their time like Joe Rogan. He did Fear Factor. It's yeah. like you never know what other little side gigs or whatever things you can do for exposure is going to help you in the long run with comedy.
0: Absolutely. And that's that's why you should always say yes to every experience, mm-hmm. every door that opens, just say, yeah, I'll give that a go. Yeah. See what happens. Cuz you never
1: know who you'll meet, what contacts will happen, you just never know.
0: You never know. Do you have any philosophies on comedy? Anything that like, really stands out to you when you think about comedy that you I learned?
1: think the biggest thing that I've learned is try not to take yourself too seriously and try to cater to the crowd. I almost hate it when comics like, oh, well, it was a bad crowd or it wasn't my crowd or they were rough. And it's like, it's not the crowd's job to like you. It's like, if you're lucky, they've come to a comedy club, they've paid to get in. It's like, you have to figure out How to reach them, and you can't just go in as like, well, always do this, and other crowds laugh at it. It's like you have to find out. Okay, when they say that the the comics, they say you killed. You've got to find out how to defeat that crowd. You got to figure out. Okay, it's like a bomb. How do I defuse this bomb? It's like what, (laughs) what do they want? And you've got five minutes to be like, how do I crack this code? It's like a Rubik's cube. It's like how do I reach these people? that I've been trusted to reach. And I think that's where a lot of young comics, they wind up getting dismayed or sidetracked, where it's like, you know, doing open mics or, you know, other smaller shows are like, well, I did a show there and the crowd wasn't good or I did this and the crowd wasn't. It's not about, the crowd doesn't really owe you anything. That's the biggest thing is comics got to realize. The crowd doesn't owe you shit. You You owe the crowd entertainment. You are there for them.
0: That's awesome.
1: And- that's another thing too. You have to get used to, to being strong enough to perform in front of empty rooms or, you know, indifferent crowds. You yeah. can't, well, I did this other spot. Nobody was saying there was a, uh, open mic that really helped me a lot when I was in Atlanta. It was, um, Rocky Mountain Pizza Company and it's no longer going on. It was on Sundays and that is the home bar for the Philadelphia Eagles in Atlanta. So you would have these comics back there doing open mic and 80% of the bars watching the Eagles game basically wanting us to shut the yeah. up. And that really, Shout out to Joe Smith and uh, Atlanta for putting me on there and really helping my career down there a lot. Doing that really tough mic really helped me a lot. I call it speaking into the abyss. Sometimes you're going to do stuff and you're going to have to power through where you're not. There's nobody in the crowd. The crowd's not feeling you. No response. And you have to fight the urge to lose confidence or or to kind of fold. You got to keep powering through. You got to basically I don't think comics really get it. It's like the crowd sees your posture. They can see the changes in your attitude, your body language, your voice. They can tell when a it's like a dog or or a shark. They can smell fear or when you quit and you have to be able to be like, okay, that didn't hit like I wanted to. I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to fold. you got to stay strong on stage.
0: It breaks my heart when I see comedians, I would say open micers. I, I don't really see a lot of comedians that go on stage, professional comedians. Yeah. Fold, you know what I mean? Yeah. But you'll see it a lot in open mic. If they're not doing well, they're just like, Well, I'm just gonna get out
1: of here. Yeah. And I'm
0: like, You should have kept going. Yeah.
1: Like because the thing is, they probably had two or three bits that were written, they said, Let's get out of here. And the other stuff didn't hit, and they might have that one of those two other bits might have given they might have got something that was like, Oh wow, they like this. Well, let me work on this bit and keep writing and to and build it. You'll never know what you got unless you use it. So yeah. if if you just if you quit, it's almost like say say in the Super Bowl when the Falcons were winning twenty eight to three, and Tom Brady was like, "Well, that's it. They're twenty eight to 3. F- it. <laughs> you got a Tom Brady. To <laughs> sh-. <laughs> you got to be in it to win it at all costs, and, and no matter no matter how much time is left on the clock, you got to You got to push.
0: That's amazing advice because yeah. like so many people give up. Stand up is hard, and that's what it people is. realize Is like it is it is brutal, and a lot of us are very sensitive. I'm very sensitive, so somebody might say something about my set mm-hmm. or I might feel something about like not doing well wherever I'm at, and then I beat myself up for three days. You know what I mean? But you got to get back up and you got to do it again. Being
1: around fighters for five or six years and actually walking fighters to the cage and and being in the corner and and interacting with fighters, man, that's the closest thing I've seen because, man, MMA ain't no excuses. It's like it's not a team. You can't be like, oh, they didn't block or they didn't pass me the ball. It's like it's another grown man on your chest beating your face in in front of people. So... It's all on you. It's all on your preparation, your confidence. That's why they got the walkout music dudes is screaming and, and yelling and trying to psych themselves up. It's it's you in the ring, basically. So it's drawing from that energy of fighters, you know, how they, you know, they they you know come to the cage and, and get ready. That's really how I feel. When when, you know, I'm up I know I'm up up next. And I've 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 been in, you know, you know, fight locker rooms where guys have got their hands taped and they're just waiting to hear that walk to the to the cage, that's how I feel when I'm waiting here to walk to the stage. I, I feel like I'm about to come and, and try to be Anderson Silva.
0: Because you have high energy. Yeah, yeah. And even just right now on the podcast, I'm sitting there thinking, why don't you have a radio show? <laughs> very like the it's way so, so talk, funny that
1: you said that. Stuff. I've I, I graduated from the Ohio Center for Broadcasting. I've got a radio. I was on a MMA radio show in Columbus on QFM ninety six called Mixed Martial Arch. Um, I want to thank, uh, Doug Risher and, uh, Arch, uh, Doug is, Doug is in Nantucket now. These were guys who were MMA guys that saw me as a writer and then they brought me on the show and I almost was doing stand up, you know, do, then it was, it was funny. So I guess, yeah, I've, I've built the radio voice and I've dabbled in it, but I would almost rather do a podcast or, or something on my own. I've got a podcast. I've just been. Yeah, promote it. Well, promote it. Yeah, I, I, I'll send you some links to to a couple that I've done, and I just got to get back on it. I would. Yeah. What I really need to do is be, you know, maybe find a podcast partner or some people to work with. But yes. I, I love talking, and I, I I I love you know doing podcasts. It's just really you know it's. Doing the work and the diligence as far as, you know, just like I did with comedy, trying to build a podcast also.
0: Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you this. Uh, as somebody who's had an unsuccessful podcast, mm-hmm. uh, it's you've got to be passionate about it. You've got to yeah. enjoy the process. And, and you
1: got to be and, consistent. you yeah. got to keep posting. you got to have content. You can't just be like, and that was my problem. I do a podcast, and then it might be four months later, and I do another podcast. And I do the podcast, and I send it to maybe two people. And it's like, well, how come nobody's listening to your podcast? Because I didn't send it to no damn yeah. body. <laughs> <laughs> so it's 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 really another thing too. Just I don't think people understand with entertainment. It's a business. It still work. You still have to make a good product. You still have to promote and market your product too. That's one of the biggest things that people don't understand. It's you've got to market and promote yourself as a comic. You yeah. you've got to get yourself out there. And I'm trying to get better. You got to sell tickets. You got to interact with people. Because that—that's where the business part comes in. You could be super funny, but if you're funny, you just get off stage, go home. You don't stay till the end of the set. You don't really do any type of networking. It's you'll, you. It, and I've did that for a couple years. You'll be stagnated. People are like, man, that dude's funny. It's like, I, well, I wanted to get him on the show, but yeah. he did his set and disappeared. You—you you really gotta understand that a lot of times the things that you feel like that might not be happening in your favor, you might want. You might have to slow down and observe other people and see how people are looking at you, and maybe talk to people because the opportunities might be there. You might just be missing them right in front of your face. But like, man, how come I don't get booked with nothing? How come it's like, well, people see you once or twice a month? And I'm actually talking about myself. So <laughs> you have to be consistent. Another thing I'm gonna say, I'm not gonna get too far into this. If you really want this to work, you gotta you gotta manage your relationships. There're gonna be sometimes people who are like they don't they don't really want you out there. They don't they don't want you spending this much time doing this that. And the third, you got to have people that understand what you're trying to do, the process, and are supportive and, and give you the time to actually get it done.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, uh, you're just talking about the networking alone. Yeah. But like you reached out to me. You was like, hey, can I come on the podcast? I was like, hell yeah. Because I reached out to you when I started on the YouTube channel, yeah. and you were one of the first people I was like, dude, can I put up one of your clips? I mean, and then I am so
1: like, thankful for yeah, that. Yeah. Oh,
0: I, I was too, because I was like, this is going to be awesome. Yeah. It, it is a lot of networking and it's a lot of going back and forth. But it can be fun and like, yeah. it can be productive. Well, the like thing
1: that. is, if you look at it, if, if you look at it it's like, well, oh, I got to talk to this, like, you get to talk to comics. You get to yeah. meet people. You wind up making friends. You might wind up making a, a, a friend that you can go travel with and do shows with. So, Comedy networking is actually pretty fun.
0: Yeah, it's pretty fun, and occasionally you get people you don't want to mess with. Yeah, like, but for the most part, yeah. it's all hugs and like jokes and getting roasted a lot.
1: <laughs> yes. I mean, a
0: lot. <laughs> I got roasted so hard last night.
1: The uh, first time that I I was at um hyenas red room. They're all they've all gone their separate ways, but I'm still gonna call them the Vatos, the Vatos Chisotos, They roasted the. Out of me. <laughs> <laughs> so being able to be roasted and laugh at yourself and and kind of be able like while they're roasting you be like understand is like this is actually it will be like playing against an NBA star and I'm shooting 40 points on you. you be like you okay wow I'm learning from this and yeah. it's like I actually get to watch Kobe Bryant kick my it's kind of fun.
0: <laughs> Exactly. And it's it it's all endearing. You yes. know what I mean? Like no
1: one's nobody uh, wrote somebody they don't like or care about. Yeah, they exactly. don't took they don't put the time, they don't look at you, they don't notice you to come up with the material. They don't they just don't give a
0: So where do you see yourself in five years? Where would you
1: like to be? That's a good question. I've seen so many comics and musicians. Just get burnt out mentally, physically and emotionally with like the tours and you wind up people. Oh, yeah, I'm going on tour. And you might do a bunch of tiny towns and you'll be stuck on the road. So I would like to be be functional and active in multiple cities. But I don't want it to be where like, yeah, I'm in, like you know, uh, Dead Horse, uh, Oklahoma and then, you know, uh, Bad Plumbing, Arkansas, and all these. I would rather, you know, I'll be in Dallas and then I'll fly to Houston. I would rather do major comedy clubs in major cities and then to work on a podcast and then to start shooting um, sketch comedy. Uh, Yeah. That's what I'm really, yeah. One of the things I learned from music is you can try to work with other people, but the best thing to do is just buckle down and just you stay quiet and get all the equipment and get everything you need to do it yourself. So that way you can go and film or record and do whatever you want. And then you'll have enough time to kind of work through stuff and edit. Because if you have to gather a whole bunch of people it's going to be times where, oh, well, one guy can't bring the, the camera, another guy can't bring the recording equipment, people have to work. So it's almost one of those things where you got to almost overburden yourself to really give yourself the, the full locus of control to get done.
0: Being a producer, as you said, yeah. and in this sense, being a director, you know, and have, holding multiple hats, it's yeah. difficult, but it's fun, too, at the same time.
1: It's rewarding once you, if, once you build something yourself and it works. It's super rewarding. You
0: got a bunch of sketch ideas? Oh, yeah. It. That's what I'm talking about yeah i I love sketch so i think we talked about pretty much everything is there anything you wanted to talk about
1: i just really wanted to thank you for having me on just a really big thank you to the improv like really sitting on this stage when i first got here i had always wanted to be at an improv and and the open mics it's like people don't understand what these letters mean open mics you don't get the improv behind you yeah we bring that it's 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 covered it's this is like playing on Cowboy Stadium when 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 the star is in in the middle of the field and Jerry Jones is there. Yeah. This is this is when I grew up. Rodney Dangerfield was in front of this. Robert Townsend was in front of this. Richard Pryor. I mean, you can look on the wall here and you see the greats. Mitch Hedberg. I like what he said. He said, "I need to improve at the." <laughs> this is this is I mean this is. This is the major leagues of comedy, man. This is the NBA, NFL, UFC of comedy. This is this is it. There's improvs all over the country. Man, Houston and Dallas Improv, like these these are the two of the best comedy clubs in the entire the entire world, really, because comedy runs through the United States. And these are the two best comedy clubs in the state of Texas. And like, if you talk to another comic, like, oh, you did improv, you know, Addison, or you did Arlington, or you did Houston, that means something. It's not like, yeah, I did a uh, Joe's uh, Crab Shack and, t- and bait and tackle, and I, you know, I made fifty five dollars. It's like, like, did, did you go fishing? Did you get any free bait? It's like, what? The f-? This is the f- improv.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. When I started working for the company, I took a lot of pride in it. And yeah. obviously, it, I went from being a server to doing this. So, mm-hmm. And I got lucky
1: doing this. But well, I mean, obviously, you say you got lucky, but obviously, you put the work in. It's like luck comes with work. If you were just bush, nobody would like, look, you're a good server. I'm going to give you all this equipment and just throw you a podcast. <laughs> you put the work in. Man.
0: And that's what it's all about at the end of the day. Yeah. It's, it's the journey. The destination might be great yeah. and with comedy we don't know what the destination is because luck plays heavily into it but luck is when timing and hard work finally
1: meet the know? scariest thing about comedy is the destination is mostly when a comic makes it that's when the bad yeah like the drug addiction the the, the money you know issue the, all the stress is like when a comic gets big all the bad Happening. And you talk to every comment. Oh, man, I loved it when I was coming up and I was hitting comedy clubs and I was everybody likes it. And once they make it, every, all they talk about is their their way to make it. And then the people who haven't made it is like, man, I hope I make it like you <laughs> and all the ones that have that already made it. Like you like you see Rogan and Chappelle, all they talk about is, oh, man, remember back when we were little uh, and Patrice O'Neill was alive and he was with Kevin Hart and all this A lot of the comics that have made it, they revel in what it took to get there, the journey and the process and the comics they interacted with and they tell stories. And and I think that you should more focus on the journey, like you said, because nobody really knows what the hell the destination is. Yeah,
0: Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you being here. This is definitely part of the journey. This has been an awesome podcast, so thank you so much. Thank what you. are your social medias?
1: Um, I am Chris Hopkins Comedian on YouTube and on Facebook, and it's Chris underscore Hopkins zero two seven on Instagram. Right on. And I'm an old person. I don't have no other social media, so you got to use those. You got to get that TikTok,
0: <laughs> dude. You got to get on that TikTok. That
1: is, that is I got to. TikTok, but I don't know what to say.
0: Yeah, well... You, you have stuff to say, though. You, you
1: know, you're right. You're, I, sh- I should just get on TikTok and start talking. You should.
0: You should just put on the camera, start saying stuff, make sure you subtitle it. That's yes. the key because that's how it catches people. But, you know, I would be interested to see what perspectives you have on everyday
1: life. <laughs> I've actually, I've got two TikTok skits that I did. I'll send them to you. I just right. <laughs> Very
0: cool. I can't wait. Well, Chris... Thank you,
1: sir. Thank you so much, Ducky.
0: I appreciate it. And everyone out there, please support Local Comedy in any way that you can. We appreciate it. I appreciate you being here again. And we will see you on the next one. And there it is. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. If you enjoyed it, please head over to ImprovTX.com to check out all our upcoming shows at the Addison, Arlington, Houston, and San Antonio clubs. If you like this podcast, you might enjoy the other podcasts on the ImprovTX Comedy Network. We have The Act Out, from open mics to the big stage, comedians tell us the story they've made. Where I talk to comedians from all over and chat about their journey this far. Also, check out the Black Dog Retro Arcade Podcast. Straight from the arcade, we talk about how our favorite games were made that's right we're talking all that video game goodness and finally we have quacking up a storytelling podcast where we pick suggestions from a hat and tell stories based upon them once again thank you so much for listening please check out our social media all links in the description and with that we'll see you on the next one